Bloody Elbow presents the Hey Not The Face podcast, the show that brings you the business side of combat sports, including contract review, financial analysis, fighter pay issues, and more. Hey Bloody Elbow podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content if available at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here's your host, John S. Nash, joined by his producer, Steffi Haynes. Hello and welcome to Hey, Not the Face with your host, John Nash, and your producer, me, Steffi Haynes. And for the second time this week, we have a guest, and he's an awesome guest. I've known him for a long, long time. You all have known him for a long, long time, too, if you've been a fan of mixed martial arts for more than a decade. Without further ado, let's bring in one of the original plaintiffs of the antitrust suit and an all-time favorite, if you're an MMA fan, Mr. Nate Quarry. Hey, hey. Original member of the, the tough, the ultimate fighter cast original uh uh just a lot old old school mma guy ufc mma guy so been around for a while that's uh i'm I'm so old school that when i started it was called nhb yeah no holds barred so yes that's uh so old school you were around when uh before they were on spike before they're on tv you know so it's uh it goes way back so this is we are talking old old school but anyways (laughs) Uh, you were also one of the original plaintiffs, and we should point out you were you were one of the original plaintiffs. You were a, a member of what's called the identity class, not the bout class. And uh, when Ju- Bullward uh, class gave class certification to the class, certified the class, he only did the bout class. He denied the identity class. Um, and as, as Rob Macy had said, and um, and we also have the judge. It's not that he didn't say that the identity class wasn't damaged, but the the problem was that the regressive model, the way that there were so many fewer members and the way that it was done, that they couldn't prove that you had commonality. So the class. So uh, I guess the first thing is, were you? I, I guess you were disappointed that your your class was not certified. Well, so the way this whole thing started many years ago, when I made it. Uh, made it public knowledge that I was more than happy to step up and take a shot at the UFC to fight for what I believed was right. I sat down with the original lawyers, Rob Macy being one of them. Uh, And from the very beginning, I had to come to terms with because they made it clear that the bout class began slightly after my last fight, just a few months afterwards, and that the identity class could be uh, not certified. And if that was the case, then what am I really in this for? So I had to come to terms with, am I going to do all this work, fight for what I believe is right, just for myself, just for my own payday? Hey, John? John. I'm here. I'm here. I'm okay, here. Okay, we lost Nate. Yes, yes. Okay, let me get him back. Yeah, yeah. He was on a he was on a roll too. Damn it. Uh hold on. Oh Jesus fucking Christ, man.
hope he wasn't driving. Oh. <laughs> All right. Hopefully this is ringing to him. There Yo. Is. Okay, I want you to start all over if you would, simply because we dropped okay. you. <laughs> okay. Just on yeah. that answer, your answer to my question about the being disappointed about the, about the class sort of being certified or not. Yeah. Okay, on me. Yep. Anytime. Okay, so when this whole thing began, I sat down with the original lawyers, my my point of contact, Rob Macy, and. Quite frankly, I had to come to terms with the reality of the situation. The bout class began just a few months after my last fight. So I knew that this was a possibility all along. Uh, I knew that the identity class may not get class certification. So I had to say, am I doing this just for my own benefit or am I doing this? Man, what is going on? I don't know. Is the signal over there bad or something? Is the internet? It's got to No, we're calling him on his cell phone. Oh, he's, I wonder if he's in a bad area. Yeah. Fuck. Hi. How about now? <laughs> you, we're losing. Even right now, you're fading in and out. Okay, I'm going to go to another location. Do you think it's on my end or yours? It, it's, it's your end. John and I okay, are staying wanna... connected. It's just you dropping. I'm so sorry. Okay. Uh, no worries. It's it's hilarious. Well, I have T-Mobile, so it's just the, the shittiest oh. that it can be. So I'm going out into my driveway. <laughs> I will sit in the back of my truck. Well, that's all right. This is like me in Minnesota when I can't get a reception. I have to go in the blizzard winter and down the street. Okay, I've, I'm so sorry to ask you this, but if you wouldn't mind, just start your answer. I'm so sorry. Of course, of course, of okay. course. And on your cue, sir. Third take is the best take. <laughs> yes, sir. So I had to come to terms with, from the very beginning, when I originally sat down with the lawyers, Rob Macy being my main point of contact, the bow class began slightly after my last fight in the UFC, just a few months afterwards. And the identity class, that was going to be one of the harder things to prove. It's, as you said, it's not that we weren't all damaged and damaged in similar ways. They just did, did things very differently with many of the, the random fighters. So it, it really came down to, am I going to do this just for myself? And obviously, I, I feel that uh, I I was underpaid as well, just like the other 1,214 fighters in the class. Uh, some compensation would be awesome for that. But I try to do things not necessarily only because it will benefit me directly. And if staying in this fight and being a voice and, and drawing attention to the treatment of the fighters, if that's what I can do as, as someone who's no longer a named plaintiff, well, then so be it. I'm going to... I'm going to stick with it. Okay. And so what's your general feelings about the overall case then, especially the, the, the ongoing bout case? What's your feelings? She can go back. What was your feelings about taking part in this? Because this has been a long, long, long journey just to even get to here. It really has. What's it been now? Eight years or so. And We're coming on the ninth anniversary. There. We're coming on the ninth anniversary. Wow. And you've been there side by side, just reporting it as it goes down as well. And, I, I even contacted you last week and I said, Hey man, I'm waiting for you to do the write up so I can, I, I can read this and understand it a little bit better than just the lawyer's jargon coming at me. Yeah. It, I, it I, I'm, I'm it, very good at dumbing it down. That's my specialty. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, and, and back in the day when I signed with the UFC, I swear to God, I did not know what the term in perpetuity meant. Uh, of course, they're not going to say forever because then even just dumbass fighters would understand and think, hey, wait a minute, I'm signing over my rights forever, my likeness rights forever. No, no, it's it's in perpetuity. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sure that that makes more sense then. So it's been a, a very educational thing to go down this road and to sit here and watch the lawyers battle back and forth. It's It's been amazing. And to see how well our team is doing, it's just phenomenal. It, it really is like Tyson beating up an infant. Because our, our lawyers, they have the truth behind them. They have the passion behind them. Uh, it's and, and Bulware is seeing this. <clears throat> and he's made it clear. When he first said three years ago, I'm most likely going to grant you class action status. And now his written opinion has come out. It's, it's damning saying what the UFC has been doing and how they've been treating the fighters. It's just been incredible to see this moving forward. Is it, was it disappointing at all? Or was it disheartening when you got, when you, I remember when you guys first came on file, was it disheartening kind of the reaction you got from the fans and media at the time that there, because there was a lot of people saying it was a money grab. I mean, even though there's some fight, other fighters are saying this was a money grab or some even other managers that you guys are, you know, all just bitter and that there was, there was no merit to this case. You know, there was a lot of very strong, uh, now also I should ask, do you notice the difference? Cause there seems to be a lot more support for you guys' position now than there was when you first filed. So I am for the working class. I will always be for the, for the working class. I came from the working class. Every single right that we have as workers, somebody fought for, most likely somebody died for it. The, the ruling class who has been trying to consolidate, who's been trying to take up all the power, has had this massive wealth movement from the working class into the ruling class. Consistently throughout history, they've been telling us that we need to just be thankful with the crumbs off of their plates. That it, And Dana White said this many times, oh, the UFC, it's not a job, it's an opportunity. It's, it's how far you take it. It's your fault you're not a world champion. Well, wait a minute. <clears throat> That's not the way that sports works. In the NFL, they don't all get to be Super Bowl champions. And yet the worst player in the NFL who never steps foot on the field is making life-changing money every season, I believe over half a million dollars, to ride the bench. No one is saying, hey, you don't deserve any money because you didn't get there, you didn't play in the games, you weren't on the field, you didn't win the Super Bowl. <laughs> No, they're generating an insane amount of money for the owners who will continue to own their team well past that three-and-a-half-year average uh, life expectancy in the game of football is over for these guys, and they move on. With fighters, it's the same thing. We have such a short window to really be effective, and we need to try and take advantage of that as much as we can. You know, you start fighting or you start training because you love it, because you're interested in it. It excites you. The, the idea of combat, stepping into a cage, seeing how you're going to defend yourself, how you're going to stand up, how you're going to fight against somebody. And if you do okay, well, then you start moving on. Maybe you'll take some bigger fights. You're, you're fighting in these small shows for free, and then you move into the small pro shows, and you're making a couple hundred bucks here, maybe $500 there. And then you make it into the UFC and you think, oh, my God, I've made it. I'm one of the elites. I'm one of the best fighters in the world. 
and then you see, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm losing money here to fight for this promotion that's bragging about how much money they're making. So to everyone that that's out there that says, Oh, this is just a money grab. I'd, I'd fight for free. Well, you'd have to because you suck and no one would pay to watch you fight. You go ahead and you can have my journey. I want to see you train for half your lifetime, 20, 25 years of waking up, training twice a day, getting beaten down, learning boxing, wrestling, jujitsu, stepping into the cage, fighting and making it into the big show, winning that title. Then feel free to look to Dana White and say, hey, this one's on me. I just did it for the love of it. I'm going to go back to my, my job in the factory. No, once you put in that much time and effort and you're generating insane amounts of profit for the promoters, for everyone around you, of course you, you're going to want your rightful share. Because that's the interesting thing about sports in general and especially fighting. All it takes is two people to show up and swing. If a whole bunch of people show up and say, hey, I want to pay to watch this, what more do you need? And yet for some reason, we have these promoters who show up and say, hey, I'll run a few commercials, I'll secure the venue, and for this, I'll only take 85% of the income. You know, you, you get to split that 15% with 16, 17 other people on the card. Aren't, aren't you thankful? Well, when was the last time a promoter said how thankful that they were, that the fighters were going out there, and they were literally giving up years of their life in front of millions of people and we're starting to see the damage that has happened to these guys, to these fighters, that as they're getting older, their bodies are worn out. Their brains are, are horrifically damaged, and we're still fighting for scraps. And it's time for that to change. Every sport has gone through this. Every industry has gone through this. It's just our time. And that's all it takes is, is a few people willing to stand up and say, hey, I'm going to go ahead and fight for what I believe in. If you disagree with me, that's fine. But I'm going to do what I've always done, stand up for myself, stand up for what I believe in. And I think the courts are going to side with us as well. And that's what we're seeing happening. Well, th- that was a that was a good, uh, good statement there. I didn't even we didn't want to interject on that. You were on such a such a groove there. But uh, <laughs> you, you did mention one part it reminds me of something we call the fighter's arc. And you kind of you kind of elegantly played it up. The fighter's arc basically is when you start and you're young, all you're interested in is, in this case, making it to the UFC because that's the big show. That's your dream. Uh, and you're willing to sacrifice and take less pay because you kind of assume that things will play out. You'll keep winning and then you'll you'll become a big star and make all the money. But it's only when you get to that point where you see the end of your career coming and you realize I did not get the money that I assumed that would be given to me. That I, And it's almost now too late to, to do anything about it. Well, so, and that's that's what uh, what promoters and promotions will do, because it's it's one of those passion things that you, you do because of the passion of it. You, you get into fighting because you love it. It's the same with teachers. Teachers don't get into it thinking, oh, I'm going to make so much money. They do it because they love the kids. They love the art of teaching. They love all these things. And then after a while, they get so burned out and they realize I'm not making any forward progress here. And with fighters, it's so much worse because we all show up. Joe Silva told me this once, that he wished that he could run a tournament for every UFC because every fighter believes that they're going to win the tournament and they won't have to pay any of those guys anything. You get an eight-man tournament, only one guy gets a decent payday. All the rest get paid shit. And he told me we wish we could do that every time. 
because everybody just thinks that they're going to win and they will capitalize off of that. They will, they will use us and abuse us and kick us to the curb. And then once again, tell us our, it's, it's all our fault that, that we should have just been better. It's not that they were greedy and they kept everything for themselves. No, we just weren't good enough. Is it, you, this actually kind of raises kind of a difference between you see in boxing because even though boxing people box because they try to prove something and they have a you know that's their love is for boxing and it's the sport the competition they want to prove they're the best boxers mentality if you look ever listen to them talk they're very money focused right the professional boxers there's the, the 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 professional part of boxing is right there in the forefront we're professional boxing it's prize fighting we're here to fight for money in MMA you notice in mixed martial arts. Uh, people, it is professional fighting. People are there for money, but in many ways, fighters, it's it's not something that it's it's not as clearly thought out as much. It doesn't seem, at least, that way that fighters are that focused on it. They, they're much more willing to, uh, at least in my opinion, many fighters are willing to concede that to the promotion. What's already laid out of what they're going to get paid is is the acceptable amount. Is it is that correct or not? Uh, I think you're exactly right there. It's almost looked down upon it or shamefully if you say, you know what, this fight isn't in my best interest. Uh, th- there's a much higher chance that I'm I'm going to lose. So maybe I need a, a better camp. Maybe I need a little bit more time to prepare. And then it's, oh, he's scared to fight. Oh, this is all about money for him. Well, it's all about money for the promoter, isn't it? It's all about money for the coaches. It's all about money for everybody around there sticking their hand in your pocket. But the fighter is supposed to be doing it for honor, for respect, for the glory. Those things do not buy a house. This is a business. And if you do not treat it as such, you will be left broke and broken at the end of it. At one point, I was helping Chris Lieben renegotiate his UFC contract. And he had just had a, a great win over Aaron Simpson. They wanted him to fight Sexyama. And so Dana calls Lieben, offers him this fight. Lieben calls me. We get the agent on the phone. Lieben's saying, oh, I don't know if I want to take this. The agent is saying, I don't know if this is a good time for you. So I said, all right, Chris, so, so do you really not want the fight? Or what's the story here? If if the UFC offered you a million dollars to fight Godzilla in Tokyo tomorrow, would you take it? He said, well, yeah. He said, so it's not that you don't want the fight. It's that you want to be compensated appropriately. Give me a number. And I think he threw out 250000 So 250 grand for, I'm not sure if it was co-main event or it was, it was on the main card, one of the biggest cards of the year, two weeks notice on a fight. <clears throat> so I said, great. So I told the agent, okay, well, call Dana back and tell him this is what, what we want. The agent says, oh, man, Dana's going to be pissed. So, well, he's supposed to be. He's not supposed to like you because you work for the client. He's working for himself and his investors. We're supposed to be working for ourselves and taking care of ourselves. So the agent calls Dana. Agent calls me back. He goes, oh, man, Dana just yelled at me and hanged up the phone. Oh, what did he yell? He yelled, oh, this is all about money for you, isn't it? And just slammed down the phone. You're goddamn right it is. You know, how much do I have to prove? Oh, I've had my face shattered in the first round and gotten off my stool and fought again. I don't have anything to prove. Yes, this is about money to me because I have a family to support. I have kids to put through college. Of course it's going to be about money for me, just like it is for 
for Dana and the rest of those guys because when they're not going to make as much money on a on a pay-per-view or somebody drops off, they've canceled entire cards. Because not because they're not going to make money, because they're not going to make as much money. It's just amazing to me how it's it's all about money for everyone, but the fighter is just supposed to do this just for the love of the game. No, 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 no. Well, like going back to boxing, because it kind of brings it up, is that the uh, in boxing they they regulate the sport with the Ali Act because they regulate in the sense that fighters, boxers, their whole goal is to fight, to you know, just to basically challenge themselves, but also they they want to prove themselves the champion, so they they can get boxers to do. They've shown that they can get boxers to give up anything, basically all the rights, all the money, their con- options, all this stuff, and the, give up their future if it gives them closer to a title shot, which is their dream. And then they're trapped in that, and they don't get the rewards of having the being a top boxer at the end. And in MMA, that's what the Ali Act was potentially supposed to fix. And in most part, it has. Boxers have the ability to negotiate and make a lot of money now at the top. In MMA, though, they can use that. They can entice you the – because it's not regulated, they can entice you and say, oh, you want to prove yourself, you have to sign on with our promotion. Oh, you want to move up and fight this top guy. You need to sign this other contract that's not in your favor. Oh, you want a title fight, you have to give us an eight-fight agreement. In other words, you, the, the promoter has so much leverage. So I, I guess what's I, I guess that's a roundabout way to get into the Ali Act, because I know you supported the Ali Act in the past. Is that something you still want to – is that something you still support? Is that something you're still going to try to bring to MMA in the future? That is the top of my list. It, it is huge because what this lawsuit will do is it will compensate fighters who are were unjustly had their wages suppressed and stolen from them. We're also aiming to get some injunctive relief to make sure that the UFC can't continue on with these never-ending contracts. But that's just one organization. And there's many, many others, many smaller organizations, but they're still there. What we need is something that is going to change the entire sport. Now, John, I know you're you're a big movie guy. Who's your favorite director? Well, it's, there's so many to list, but I'll go off the top of my head. I'll, 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 I mean, there's Fritz Lang and Martin Scorsese. We'll go Martin Scorsese. He's the most recent guy. He's okay. my favorite. Okay, let's, so, so let's say Scorsese just puts out a Craigslist ad and says, hey, I'm going to do a movie but I'm not going to pay anybody who wants to be in my movie. Actors would be falling over themselves to go be in a Martin Scorsese movie. Would they not? Oh, oh they that's would, a given. That's... They'd just be dying. Oh, I'm going to get discovered. I'm going to be the next big star. Once again, it's the, well, Hey, we're putting on this, this heavyweight tournament who all wants to get paid nothing with the odds that maybe one person is going to make it. So Hollywood formed the Screen Actors Guild, the Writers Guild, to protect actors and writers from themselves because that's what we do. We believe in ourselves so much. We're just going to we're going to take our shot. We're going to we're going to make it happen some way. And for 99 percent of us, it doesn't happen. There are some people that are just going to ride the bench. But in the NFL, they're making half a million dollars a year to ride that bench. In MMA, it's the exact same thing. Every fighter believes from the first time they put on their gloves, I'm going to be a world champion. I've had guys tell me that and not be able to get through the first conditioning workout, but they had that belief. We need these protections to protect us from ourselves, to protect us from the predatory uh, promoters who are forcing you to sign these long-term contracts where you have no strength whatsoever. The Ollie Act, the Ollie Expansion Act 
is what will do that. We'll give teeth to the fighters, to every fighter across America that no longer is going to have to sign over their rights in perpetuity. That's a big word forever to this random promoter. It's, it's time to once again, make sports sports, not entertainment. We don't know who the best heavyweight champion is because they never fight. We've got the best heavyweight over here, the best heavyweight over there. They're not crossing promotions. In boxing, you can say this is the undisputed heavyweight champion. The UFC has admitted that their fighters with belts are not champions. They're just the best fighter that night. The Ali Expansion Act will change all of that. It will change the way the UFC has to do business. And if they want to stay the top dog, awesome. They have the mechanism to do it. Go ahead. But now you're going to have to treat the rest of the fighters fairly and let the free market go the way that it does. Now, we had Congressman Mark Wayne Mullen, when we met with him in D.C. about seven years ago to introduce the, the All Expansion Act, he said, this is my baby. I've been waiting for you guys to come and meet with me so we can do this and we can change the sport. We had 58 signers on our bill, and then there was a change of occupancy in the White House. And for some reason, our bill got crushed in committee because if, if you don't know, Dana White and uh, Donald Trump seem to be pretty good friends or at least don't mind uh, swapping checks here and there because it's really a pay-to-play system at the upper levels. So our bill got killed, and now we're into the next administration, and now we're waiting on Senator Mark Wayne Mullen to reintroduce the bill. And that's where we're at with that. It's, it's a necessary thing to happen. I want everyone to contact Senator Mullen, ask what we're waiting on, because that is what's really going to change the sport. It's going to be incredible to get compensation for the 1,214 fighters that were shorted and the whole next batch of fighters that, that have been shorted that's in our, our, our following lawsuit. It's going to be great to see the UFC change the way it does business, but we need to change the sport. We need to change it for everyone fighting now, everyone that's going to be fighting. Yeah, when, uh, I think one thing that gets people confused about the Ali Act is how it functions is that um, is that in MMA right now, you know, you'll hear fighters say MMA, anybody can be an MMA fighter, anybody can be a UFC fighter, which is true because they can let anybody in to fight for UFC. Their fighters are interchangeable. The, the promoter decides of how good you are. That it's up to them. And the idea of the Ali Act is that the promoter can't determine how good you are. If the promoter can't determine if you're a top fighter or should fight for the title, well, then you're not interchangeable and they have to deal with you. They can't just ignore you and move on to the next fighter. And so fighter, it's like making, it's basically like with attorneys having to pass the bar, doctors having, you know, they're, uh, they're going through their credentials that that's why they make so much. There's a limited supply of them. And, and so instead of having an endless supply of fighters, you have a limited supply that are, that are ranked and who, can, who are eligible for title shots. And, and so it narrows the pool and they can make a lot more money. So, but it's interesting. Uh, but so you're, I, Mark, Mark Wayne Mullen has not reintroduced it, I guess. So that's the, the holdup right now is you're trying to get someone to introduce the bill or do you have, uh, uh, I guess I, I guess one I should ask is we had uh, Matt Stoller on. He was saying that you need to show support amongst the fighters. Do you think there's a lot of support amongst your fellow fighters over the Ali Act, or because you do hear some fighters saying they don't want it, they don't like the idea of the promoters not having their own title, that it would ruin the sport of MMA? Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Those fighters, uh, I, I hate to tell you, you're not getting invited over to Dana's Christmas party. It's just not going to happen. You can suck up to the boss as much as you want to. You're still going to be on the outside. Those fighters that, that 
that are not for the Ali Expansion Act. It's very clear what their motivations are. And they are the ones that are, are blaming, claiming that we're all bitter and angry. Uh, no, that's just ridiculous. My life has gone so far beyond anything I ever imagined or ever dreamed that, that it's just gone incredibly well for me. I'm doing this once again because I believe it's the right thing to do and it's our time to do it. And I have so many fighters that have told me over and over again, as soon as I'm retired, I'm going to come out in support of you. But obviously I can't because if I say anything, the UFC will crush my career. They'll put them, give them bad fights, put them on undercard fights. They're not televised. They're not going to give them any raises, any sponsorships. UFC has made it very clear that if you do not support them wholeheartedly, they will punish you. And with the UFC being the biggest dog on the block, you don't want to mess with them. It's just, it's just detrimental to your career. And we see what happens when fighters do. And when the UFC cuts them or they get shut down, then they disappear from the history books. Yeah, they're they're coming for you right now, apparently. Uh, so <laughs> here's a here's some also kind of interesting. People that follow you on Twitter may realize you're you are openly very progressive, we should say, or very liberal, or whatever term you want to use. But you're on the left. That uh, in a very conservative sport, I would argue, uh, especially UFC, is made moves obvious moves to Kurt uh, to to move to the right uh, for their fan base, but. Is it how is it hard being progressive in M- the MMA sphere? Is it hard with the fan base, with the with the other fighters, or not? It's not for me because, uh, and and I tell this to everyone all the time: if you want to stick with the labels of Democrat and Republican, then that allows us to stick solidly to our teams and the, to defend them. Uh, no matter what, I would say I am most definitely Democrat. That's the way I tend to vote. But more than anything, I want to talk about the issues. And if you have an issue that's important, that makes a difference, that one side is supporting and one side isn't, then that's what matters to me. I I don't mind being wrong or being proven that I'm wrong because then it gives me an opportunity to be right next time. If I'm shown that, no, you are mistaken. Oh, okay. Oh, well, thank you for, for showing me that. Now I'm educated. When it comes to the labels and things like that, I always just say, well, what issue are you referring to? Are, are, are you talking about uh, uh, small government? Because I'm watching the Republicans tell women what they can and can't do with their bodies. I'm watching them dictate what, what books can be in schools. They're, they're holding book burnings. They're, they're trying to allow the, the church to control things in America here, which it's pretty plain that America is not supposed to have any regulations based on religion. So to me, it's a very simple thing to look at for all of these issues. And I see it all too often that it's just mostly right-wing propaganda that's just been repeated over and over again. One of my favorites, and I have had this discussion so many times, is that Biden spoke at a KKK Grand Wizard's funeral. My response is always the same to pretty much every dumbass accusation like this. Wow, that sounds terrible. Scary if it's true. Why don't we look it up and see if there's any nuanced uh, information that we don't have? Oh, I see. So this gentleman who died where Biden spoke at his funeral, he was a former KKK member who completely uh, changed his way of living, denounced 
the KKK. And not only did Biden speak at his funeral, so did Obama. So did the head of the uh, NAACP. And yet we see Ted Cruz out of Texas tweeting Biden spoke at the funeral of a KK grand, KKK grand wizard. And I'm just sitting here over and over again saying, how can you people be so gullible that you're never going to ask yourself, huh, that sounds unusual. I think I'll look it up and check for myself because that's what I do. I, I sat down with a friend of mine a while back and he was going on and on about these, these things. And well, this was back in the Obama days. Oh, Obama wants to cut, uh, wants to cut the meals for our military down to just two meals a day. Huh? That sounds terrible. Let's look it up. See if there's any nuanced information here. Oh, this is where they're leaving a place and they're going from four banquets a day to two banquets a day and two other meals that are more of cold sandwiches with all the other amenities. I've been on many military bases. It, it is a banquet. They want to keep the soldiers fed. And I'm sitting here going, so can you see that this is just right wing propaganda that you're repeating without ever questioning? And it's, it's just shocking to me. But I grew up in a cult. So I kind of understand the mindset behind it. It gives you easy answers. You don't have to think too much about it. It gives you permission to like what you already like or hate what you already hate. And I don't want to be that guy. I, I hate looking stupid because I've, I've thought something wrong. So I just always want to, to do the evidence. And if we look at things, look at the red states and the blue states. One of the biggest concerns for red states is socialism. The evils of socialism. Who takes more money from the federal government, Democrat, blue states, or Republican red states? Republican red states have their hand out taking insane amounts of federal dollars that they did not earn. How's the education in the red states versus blue states? Red states are severely more uneducated. What's the life expectancy in red states versus blue states? What's the crime statistic? The red states across the board are more violent. They're sicker. They're less educated. They have fewer rights for their people. They have more prisons. And I'm sitting here going, I, I understand the team that you were brought up in. I understand how you were told this is what you're supposed to believe. At some point, you have to think for yourself. And if you can't get past the propaganda, at least look at the numbers. Is what we're doing here working? Is the war on drugs successful? Have we stomped out drugs or is it a bigger problem than ever? Maybe we should do something different. It's, it's, just, it's just so shocking to me to see how people, they're so much more concerned about identity politics and having people tell them, hey, this, this guy uh, wants to be called Sarah. We can't let that happen. And I'm sitting here going, are, are you friends with Sarah? Do you see Sarah every day? Is this going to be a conversation you're going to have regularly? What about healthcare? Which is more of a concern for you? I, I honestly, I don't care what people do with their, their personal lives. And when they, they throw out things like, well, we're thinking about the children. These are all groomers. You know, it seems like every single day I see another pastor, a preacher, a Boy Scout leader, uh, a teacher. Somebody has been molesting and grooming kids. I have yet to see uh, a, a cross-dresser that's been wow. doing that. It's I, it's it's insane to me. 
Well, I, I'm going to say go back to one thing because I am going to give a defense of the red states here for briefly because in some ways the the reverse of this is true is that the you know a lot of re- conservatives would say oh all liberals all leftists are are are, believe, are brainwashed and they believe because there is often you'll see stories that end up not being true about conservative side, uh, but the red states in the the one point I would make is that. Yes, red states do worse, and it might be because they vote conservative, and there's a lot of evidence for low road. But I think part of the split, too, is there might be a resentment factor that blue states are doing better and red states are doing worse. And from their point of view, they could be saying, oh, you are doing stuff that benefits you on the coastal states, but not us in the in the, in the the heartland, the red states. That's just my, my defense of them, at least that the, the, the point of view that they might have. Um. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, then they can stop taking our blue money then and <laughs> okay. pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and, and show us how it's done. I, I, I don't see how that argument would actually work, that well, somehow I, I just... the blue states are, are restricting their progress. doesn't make much sense to me because, if anything, we're supporting them in their failed policies by cutting them checks year after year. Look at Kentucky, Alabama these states that would just completely fail without the federal dollars earned and handed over by the blue states. Well, I, I'd say the opposite too, though. The red states, they actually do cut, even though they take a lot of money, the, the, by, by saying we're not going to give them that you that money, that money is going to people that often maybe don't vote for the people in power, the red states, that they're the poor that need the money, and it's the people in power in those red states that are preventing them from getting that money that aid. So there's a, there's that problem yeah. too. So I, I would say you yeah. can't cut money but, off to the red States yeah, because it would but, hurt the but, people but, that but need that it. Exactly. But that exactly proves my point. Yeah. The, the people in charge in those States are the dyed in wool Republicans who are, are shitting all over their constituents and they keep getting, getting voted in because the people are once again, they're first off the, the, the maps are terrible for the voting and yeah, yeah it's just, it's a it's a mess. Well, this is a, this is an MMA show, not a political show, so we should probably move on. Although I we, well, I thought that was very. I just had to I had to let you go for a while. I thought it was enjoyable, but it does show that you're very much a progressive person in a conservative world. And at the same time, though, you were part of a group, the lawsuit. I'm I am betting most of the other fighters uh, hold different political views from you, and yet you're able to work with them on this lawsuit and the Ali Act. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.